welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Well, it's Wednesday, February the 3rd, 2021, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Today, I am joined with the venerable Chuck Johnson, and Chuck was my predecessor here at Lifeline, but uh, currently he is the president and CEO of the National Council for Adoption. And at the National Council for Adoption, or NCFA, uh, he is responsible for the management uh, as well as implementing the organization's mission. Uh, he is a passionate advocate for children, birth parents, and adoptive families. He's a frequent writer, speaker, commentator on adoption policy and practice, and has been featured on Today to the Today Show, Good Morning America, Fox News, uh, Time Magazine, the Associated Press, MSNBC, Washington Post, Washington Times, the New York Times, and so many more. Chuck is a graduate of Auburn University with a degree in social work and then holds a master's degree from the Birmingham Theological Seminary. And he and his wife, Susan, are parents via adoption as well as biology, and they currently live in Maryland. And before we get to hear from Chuck, and, and I, I'm so excited to hear from Chuck, one, because he's the guy that passed the torch to me. Uh, he's a he's a man of God that I was able to watch while I was a CPA and saw him leading this ministry as my wife, Ashley, was at Save Life, uh, a sister ministry. Just excited to hear from Chuck. But before we do, I want to remind you of the resource that our team has put out called Image Bears, Shifting from Pro-Birth to Pro-Life. Uh, if you're interested in getting a copy, it's a book or an audio book, uh, or you can get the Kindle version and you can go to amazon.com. Image Bears dives into what it means to be pro-life, not just pro-birth. It includes prayer guides, tips to care for the fatherless in your community and around the world, discussion guides, small group guides, and thought-provoking questions. So you can either run over to amazon.com or go to lifelinechild.org backslash image bears or see the show notes for more detail. Chuck, what a blessing it is to have you here. And, you know, Lifeline's going through our 40-year anniversary, and you took over at Lifeline at a pivotal time. Uh, Mr. Carr was retiring the second time. Uh, the ministry was going through so many transitions. And, and brother, I, I have testified so many times that you were so integral in the history of Lifeline, one, because you did such a great transition from that founder, uh, president, into really what the ministry is today. But what a lot of people may not know is your first day actually began as a graduate of Auburn University, practicing social work as the assistant director of Lifeline. Tell us a little bit about what Lifeline was like at your, on your first day. Well, on that very first day, this would be June of 1986. And so Lifeline was uh, just a few months away from having its fifth anniversary. So that really is early in, in an organization's uh, history. But it seems so well established that by the time I got there. But when you look back, it was really such a short time. But I can tell you that first day was just really a great predictor of what the next almost 17 years would be like. Um, John Carr, I'm sure we'll talk more about um, John Carr, who's had just a tremendous influence on me. You know, he was there waiting for me. Um, I didn't even get to go inside. We hopped in a car and drove a few hours uh, south to pick up two babies. Uh, it's just a good thing that, you know, I was 22, never married, obviously no children, but uh, my sister had had a baby. And so I had 
Um, I didn't know how to hold a baby. I knew how to change diapers. I knew how to feed a newborn baby. So that came in handy because that was my assignment. You know, it's just an all, you know, you've probably discharged babies. It's all day. And we had two to do. And so I remember, you know, in that back seat with those, in the middle seat with the two kids on each side, I'm trying to tend to them, getting back really late uh, in the evening. Uh, the lunch I had packed was still, I think, in the car. And, you know, I was expecting to get settled into my office and all those kinds of things. I don't think they showed me where my office would be until um, the next day. So it was just, a, you know, it was just an exciting day and, and uh, a memorable day. And uh, it was a great opportunity to spend a good 12, 13 hours with John Carr on my first day. And we just bonded from the very first moment. Um, his daughters were five years apart. Uh, and then I came along, we were all had February 18th birthday. And in a lot of ways, I would say, even though I had a father and a good father, but you know, John Carr was like a second father to me in so many ways. And so it was, uh, and he taught me so much about service and, and, uh, trusting the Lord. Uh, it was, he was just a, a very good, a very good man that God had really purposed for that, uh, founding that ministry. Well, like so many of us who have lived over this 40 years of history, some more current and some 35 years ago, we know that this type of ministry that we're in, and of course, you now lead on a national level with the National Council for Adoption. Adoption and foster care are messy. Uh, they are filled with challenges, and they're also filled with just blessings. So, Chuck, over your 17-year tenure, both as a social worker and as an assistant director, but then also at the helm as the director. What were some of the biggest challenges that you went through? And then what were some of the most encouraging things that you saw the Lord accomplish? Well, it was just, again, I think Lifeline just came out of the gate really fast. Um, and it was, again, it showed me that you can get a lot done with few resources. I mean, if particularly if the Lord is behind it. I think back to those days, and you really even think about the staff then, um, you know, I was 22 years old when I showed up and, and uh, the other staff was, you know, not much older. We were very young staff. Uh, I believe all of us had come from very stable uh, homes and, and predominantly Christian homes. And, you know, the things that we, the messiness of the situations that, um, that we were dealing with, I can tell you it just had a profound effect on me where you just always think maybe your family is, you know, something's wrong with the family you grew up in. And I'll tell you, um, with each passing day, my appreciation and love and respect for my parents just grew in a, just an amazing way that, you know, it wasn't, a, we didn't grow up in a perfect home, but I tell you, we didn't, we weren't worried about our safety or our needs being met or the wondering whether or not we were loved. So I think all of us, that was a profound thing. And, and in that, this grows this desire to see other children and other folks experience that stability. I just remember that was a big part, you know, you know how other agencies interview families and you've probably figured out that you know, Lifeline took a very strong approach to, to families. I mean, set very strong criteria, put a lot of emphasis on their uh, walk with Christ on the stability of their marriage. I mean, those were things that we really focused on. And if we didn't feel like they were, you know, they could be good people, but if we just didn't feel like they were the right, we were the right agency for them. You know, we, we, there were a lot of people who, who, who walked away. Uh, and that's not always, you know, a common denominator in some agencies, but that, 
trying to give the children and really even the expectant mothers, all that, the love and, and uh, things like that. So they could experience a good future was something that was profoundly, you know, impacted me, but Herbie, we didn't have anything. you know, you and I've talked about it before, you know, we had to type, we typed our case notes either on an electronic typewriter. Um, we had um, one like computer and I think someone had donated it. And again, it, that wasn't too unusual in 1986 that not every office had had uh, PCs in every office. But, you know, you had to we had to sign in to, to use the, the computer and and, uh, you know, just those kinds of things. And I tell you, one of the things that and I, we were talking about it right before we went on the sorry taping. But, you know, it, it really has taken me a long time to just really learn to trust the Lord. And and, and one of the things I go back to are those days at Lifeline where, you know, I remember a time that, and John Carr was just absolutely transparent about everything. And, you know, we knew that we weren't going to get paid that day because there just wasn't money in the bank to pay us. And so we were still there working and just, uh, we had prayed that morning. And right after that, as we were walking out, some stranger walked in said he was driving by and the Lord said to write this check. And it was exactly what we needed to make payroll. And so, you know, um, those are just amazing lessons that I have as then a young man and then later a young father and then at Lifeline and then here, you know, just learning that uh, it's not up to me, that it's, um, you know, it's the Lord that does these things for us. I think even as you tell that story, you know, I think of how over and over when you look at just even history and you, you read biographies, you think of George Mueller, who literally prayed that that he could feed these children and bread trucks would break down out in front of the orphanage. And I've heard that story. You tell me that story before of just literally just a random man coming in and writing exactly what you needed. I, I in my tenure, have had almost an exact similar story where we were struggling and I didn't know what we were going to do. And, you know, one of the things that Mr. Carr really believed in and passed down through the generations was not to go into debt, not to, not to borrow, but to use what you had. And, and I remember one summer, literally same thing happening, needing something and someone on the way home, as I thought the last minute, everything's done, can't pay. And someone literally had sent in the night before exactly what we needed. And it hit the bank right in time. You just you know, those, those are amazing stories, but you know I struggled with that. I mean, it was something that um, uh, really took its. And again, this is to my shame, but you know I struggled with that, and I just wanted God to you know give us an abundance, and that just wasn't the plan at the time. And I don't know if you remember, but early on in your tenure there, you know I just asked you because I I mean I mean lifeline just grew in a, just an amazing way as soon as you took over. I mean, it, your vision was big and, and I just knew that the, probably the struggles you were having with the resources. And I just asked you how you were doing, thinking you would say, oh, I'm just worn out by all this. And you said, Chuck, this is the most exciting adventure of my life. And, um, and so, you know, I've even thought about that. That was something that really um, convicted me that, um, you know, I did not enjoy that process of being that dependent on the Lord. It was amazing. Uh, I can still look back and get excited telling these stories. But, you know, when you talk about passing the baton, I was, nobody was more happier 
than I was, you know, to, to pass you the baton and, and then to watch what you've done uh, so quickly um, as the executive director there. But, um, you know, it's been something in the last few years, even here, that I've had to learn to, um, even though I've been a believer a long time, I believe God provided, I know, knew all these kinds of things, but I just had a hard time really applying that. And so, um, you know, this whole whole idea of just in my weakness and, and in my shortcomings that, you know, his, you know, grace is sufficient and in my, that I can delight in weaknesses and hardship. That took me a long time. I've been a believer since I was 10 years old. You know, I was probably almost 50 years old before I even began to understand what that means. I still don't fully grasp it, but uh, I think you caught the vision a lot longer. And I think it, um, I think it's really equipped you to have a great perseverance because you don't, if I watch you and I don't think you look tired or get tired or get weary. Uh, if you do, you're good at hiding it. But um, um, it's just amazing what uh, the Lord has done over the years. I have nothing that such a, a really lifelines become a national ministry and from such, such humble beginnings. And even if you look at the people, John Carr was as simple and humble a man as I've ever known. Mm. He was, very content with little. Um, and, um, and so I just, it's so exciting to watch what's happened at Lifeline and what you and your staff have done. It's just amazing. And what Lord has done. Mm. But, you know, really, even as I hear you say that, Chuck, you know, it isn't, isn't that really the, the life flow of, of a lot of things and, you know, Mr. Carr, and then you came along and you really made a foundation that was secure and was strong uh, rooted in the Lord. I think in you and Susan, obviously, uh, have, have brought kids into your home through adoption. Um, you had one sweet little girl that passed away uh, after coming into your home. So y'all have been through the tragedy and the triumph of adoption. And that's one of the reasons I think that I look back at the, the fabric and the history that was laid of, of relying upon the Lord, but also making sure that the ministry was gospel-centered. Because while that's high praise, there are certainly times it, it is exhausting. And in the moments of these miracles, you do feel the desperation because you don't need a miracle if there's not desperation. You don't need a miracle if you haven't come to the end of yourself. And that is a frightening thing to come to the end of yourself and then realize I've got to rely upon the Lord or, or this isn't going to get out. And so just, just so grateful to see the Lord and the way that he's built this thing um, and the way that he's built this ministry and his timing um, and used every season and every year for his glory. You know, you, you talked a little bit about, you know, Mr. Carr, and, and I didn't have the opportunity to get to meet him. But one of the things that you've always told me is just what a man of character, and, and you just said it, a man of integrity he was. You know, I know you weren't there in 1981, but if you were, and he, I'm sure he told you the story, what was the motivation for him after retiring? He was going to spend this season with his wife to come out of retiring and to start a Christian adoption discipleship ministry. Right. Well, I just think I'm 56 right now. John Carr was 59. And I just think the faith that it took for him, um, yeah. you know, to, to take on this, uh, this vision uh, that had started with Wells Goble, um, who's still uh, living and, just an amazing person in himself. But, uh, you know, John Carr was cutting coupons out of, he did all the grocery shopping for his family and he was uh, 
thrifty and he was cutting coupons and he saw the article that uh, Save a Life, and that was the Crisis Pregnancy Center at the time, was looking for uh, uh, someone to help start an, uh, a licensed adoption agency. And he, he, uh, he had to go and find the rest of the article that he'd cut out because he was just reading the coupon. And pretty quickly, uh, he and Wells Goble clicked and and John Carr sat down and, and wrote, you know, and he had done this before. He wrote the licensing manual, which I've done as well, but it's a, it's a technical hmm. long process. And he got it written in a month or two. And, and then really within a matter of weeks on September 29th, they got the notice uh, that uh, they had been approved. And so, you know, you just think about that. And Herbie, I, I can't just ex- really express well enough how gentle and kind and what a servant he was. And, um, and so if you look at, you know, there've been three leaders at Lifeline, you know, he was the servant leader. I mean, he was, it was all about the clients. Mm. Um, you know, one of his, it used to drive us crazy, but you know, if somebody could catch him in the hallway and tell him their need, then that was what he immediately started spending the rest of his day trying to meet that need. And the rest of the schedule, you know, was out the window and that was just, uh, that's how he was. And then, I think my, you know, my fingerprint would be that, you know, still trying to be that servant, but having more process in place and, and uh, rules and order um, and policies. And that's just something uh, we worked on. I know Leanne Parker was a big part of that, you know, working on really laying out a structure for adoption and qualifications and a process and following them and making sure everyone was following right. them. And then I think you've been able to come in and continue that, but then add your own touch to it of just the bigness of what you do and um, and not just on us uh, you know we were primarily focused in some southern states but you know you've had more of a national international approach to things and the the you know the work that you've been able to do and still I think follow that you know not deviate very far from that it's about clients and the birth mothers and about the families and the kids and to follow structure and have a protocol in place and just do it on a, on a, on a very big scale. So it's just, uh, it's just been great to watch it. And even having this conversation just shows me clearly how much the Lord was involved in it uh, and setting all that up. And again, you, you know, something just doesn't happen immediately. This has been a 40 year, you know, process to get to this point of where you are and to be a leader mm. um, in all of these uh aspects of foster care adoption and international aid, you know, that's, uh, it's just, again, a testament to the Lord's blessing. Amen. Well, obviously I know that throughout the ministry and the history and, and we can't talk enough about the reliance upon the Lord, the, the hardships, the, the difficulties, um, you know, but one of the things that I've always enjoyed and, and early in my tenure you were working for the NCFA, but you're still living in Birmingham. And so you would drop over sometime for staff lunches. And I love just hearing y'all laugh about the crazy times as well. And I know you and I have talked about it. Sometimes you just have to laugh to keep from going crazy. And, and I do believe that humor is a gift from the Lord in order to, to keep us balanced and to help us, you know, not take things quite so seriously at times. So what are some of the, what are some of the funniest experiences you've had? at Lifeline? Well, and humor has always been a coping mechanism for me. It drives my wife crazy. I think I'm funniest, you know, in my darkest uh, times. <laughs> um, and that's just how I respond, respond to things. But, you know, and Herbie, you met some, I mean, even some of the staff at, 
at Lifeline. And then, you know, we worked so often and closely with other ministries. And, you know, it was just, uh, you know, it's a funny group of people. And sometimes they didn't always know how funny they were, but it's almost like a cast, you know, from Andy Griffith show, how people were just so, um, you know, set in their ways and, and things. And so, you know, it was just funny um, the, the things that, that come up, but another, really, again, there's so many stories. And like you said, we can get around and start, you know, talking over pizza about things that happen. And, you know, I just, Leanne Parker was funny. Um, you know, it was just a funny group of people. And, and again, we were dealing with hard situations and, you know, you do develop, you know, if you don't, I don't, I think if you can't have some humor in this, I don't know how you're going to, how you're going to make it. But um, I think of a story with John Carr um, and, you know, this had to be almost, I mean, this was 38, 39 years ago, but, you know, we had staff prayer every morning and we were working with an expectant mother and John Carr um, had met her. He had been, he, you know, he wasn't supposed to, but he had uh, taken the call and I think had gone out to, to meet with her and he never could get her name straight. And he kept mispronouncing her name and he was saying something really funny and he didn't know what he was saying. And so in that prayer time, like, you know, 10 times he said her name and about the sixth or seventh time, you can start feeling the person sitting next to you on the couch. You can feel the couch, you know, jiggling a little bit because they're starting to laugh. And then, you know, you go through all those kinds of things. So you're practicing your breathing so you don't laugh or you're lecturing yourself or pinching yourself so you don't laugh. And he just kept saying it over and over again. At some point, I just think we all just burst out laughing. And, you know, I just, again, I think the Lord has given us a sense of humor. I think the Lord took delight in that. He was praying faithfully for somebody. It was funny. And, uh, you know, it was just uh, one of those things I can, this brings a huge smile to, uh, to my face um, that um, about that prayer time. And, and again, just the awkwardness of trying not to laugh uh, with each other or embarrass him. Uh, but it was funny. I think he, he got a big laugh out of it too. Once we, had to teach him over a period of a week or two how to say her name, but um, I still remember the name. I won't say it, but uh, it was funny. Well, you know, I think there's always too been an awkwardness that's funny about this ministry because in, in a lot of ways, one of our main ministry cores is to minister to unexpected women. And, you know, then you've got like a handful of men and, you know, it's always just a little bit awkward. And, you know, one of the things that I remember from my tenure that, was was telling the story the other day to someone is we had it was just me and one other man on staff at the time and a bunch of ladies and for whatever reason the conversation and, and even like you said every morning start the prayer still still to this day every morning our staff gathers for prayer and I was leading one of our prayer times and we had a brand new intern 16 years old he was going to intern during while he's at high school and uh, the staff, the few, few mornings before in, in prayer, had been talking about needing a dentist. And everybody was saying, there just aren't any good dentists in Birmingham. And I remember this young man. And for the life of me, I would have sworn to you that his dad was a dentist. And so he came to introduce himself, room full of women, probably 20 women, two men in the room. And his name was Foster. And I said, Foster, by the way, tell us what your dad does. And he looks at me. He says, Seriously? I said, yeah, tell us what your dad does. And he all of a sudden got red. And I'm thinking to myself, it's just not that embarrassing that your dad's a dentist. And he said, looks at me one more time. He says, are you like what he does today or what he used to do? I was like, no, what he does today. And he goes, he's a gynecologist. And it, it was the poor 16-year-old kid in the room full of women. They laughed so hard till they cried. And I don't know if he thought they were laughing at him. They were laughing at me. 
Um, cause I thought his dad was a dentist, but you know, we have to laugh in these moments because I think it prepares us for what the Lord has in store for us to, to be there in these hard moments and to, to, to love people the way that Jesus would love them and to show the, the hope of the gospel. Uh, so we talk about funny moments, but, but certainly there've been some impactful moments as well. And so what were some, what's, what's some of those impactful moments that you got to experience over your 17 years? Well, God's provision, again, it took me, I'm still processing that after all these years. And it's so good to remember these things. You know, I, I love the Psalms. And if you ever know the pattern of so many Psalms, you know, David starts out in just sometimes great discouragement in the beginning, wondering if God's even listening. And then, and then he, be, he begins to remember something that the Lord has done or, you know, his faithful love. He remembers God's provision. Usually by, <clears throat> by the end of some of these Psalms, you know, he's all excited again and he's got his eyes back on the Lord. And I do think that that's, you know, today, even in my moments of anxiety, I can look back over really my whole life. I can start back from day one and start being thankful for a really loving, stable family that I had growing up in the neighborhood that I did and the churches that I went to where pastors were faithful with, the, you know, all these kinds of things I can go back from the very beginning and those, the provision days at, at lifeline. And even this, the darkest moments, you know, where, you know, two children pass away and you you just you can't imagine it happening. And again, the, the, you know, those were profound struggles where you're still trying to encourage and minister to other people. And you don't even, aren't even sure, you know, you believe what you're saying, but you know, you're just wondering if it really has any power behind it and all those kinds of things. And so even today, you're such a, and it will be for you. I mean, to write these things down and memorialize them can be just, again, in, in times of discouragement or hardship to remember God's faithfulness. But I remember, like, I could still remember where we were in that original um, building and before we remodeled and the first time um, someone prayed to receive Christ with me. You know, he was a prospective adopted parent. I remember he had grown up in church um, and just what good news it was for him to learn that, you know, it's Christ alone for salvation, that he didn't have to strive or work for it. And just what a, what a liberation it was for him, you know, to, to come to, uh, you know, what it means to abide in Christ and what it means to, to believe. I remember that. That was just great times. I remember, um, you know, I got, um, I, again, I'm sure much to the frustration of other staff, but, you know, I always, even though I was primarily working a lot with the prospective adoptive families, you know, I had a heart for the, the birth mothers and the birth fathers and would get involved in, in those cases and to be able to encourage them or help them come to understand God's plan for their life. Um, you know, those were just amazing ministry opportunities and it was um, an exciting time. And just to work with some of the people that, I, that we worked with, you know, over the years, people that I still am friends with on Facebook. I mean, it all started back in the day at, um, at Lifeline and, um, and, and to treasure that. And, um, and, you know, I, I think we mentioned Wells Goebel earlier, but, you know, Wells Goebel is probably the, the most, uh, like it has to be to, to God's glory. And as unto the Lord was just constant, you know, and, uh, and so I think back sometimes, you know, just absolutely uncompromising and how God always blessed that, even though you feel like sometimes there's a huge price in refusing to compromise. It's been a lot easier for us to say no to some of, or yes, I guess, to some of the families and stuff. But, um, 
but yeah, it's those men and those people that I work with, Leanne Parker, and you know, you mentioned them, Renee and, and, um, and uh, Lynn, all these people that we worked with over the years and just what an encouragement. And we were there for each other too. That's the other thing. I, you know, we were all young and back then we could, almost every Saturday we were helping somebody move, you know, it was just a regular thing. And we had those lunches together. Um, and um, even now uh, we were talking about trying to build community here at NCFA. And I was telling the story about just the lunches that we had with uh, each other and to sit down around a table around chips and salsa and just talk about what's going on in your family, what the Lord's doing and all these different things. It just builds, um, you know, like a common vision for each other. And, you know, if you look back over that time, there's very little dissension and conflict. Um, in fact, I had never experienced conflict in work until my first few years here where, you know, we're in DC and conflict is, you know, really part of the process and accepted. But, uh, you know, and I just had never been a part of a process where people actually are arguing fiercely with each other. And uh, and so, you know, it's just great that when, when it became my responsibility to hire people to try to bring people in who also who are talented and who have the vision, but also who um, have the like the capacity to work with each other, um, even if you disagree. And um, and I think we've been able to achieve achieve some measure of that here, and and that was really learned um, from my days. That fellowship it was real fellowship among coworkers that I thought was normal. Remember, this is my first job. I didn't know it was unusual to, you know, really love your coworkers. Mm -hmm. And again, we were a lot smaller then than you have now, but uh, you know, that, that group of young believers and then John Carr, just the Lord really used mm -hmm. that and um, helped us. I think we got better every year. I, I mean, I think if you're looking trying to measure, it just appears to be a, a steady growth of, lifeline from the beginning, just getting stronger and better and more faithful and more committed and more professional. And I think that's something, Herbie, too, that, again, you work a lot with groups. But, you know, it's unusual, particularly among church folks. I think folks would be surprised about this, that a lot of church folks have a like a solid motivation when they, they really are trying to do it for the Lord and they felt led to do this. But sometimes without the absence of any type of structure, um, and so I think Lifeline, really, when you look at that, you've stayed biblically true to that, that charter. It's, it's Christ-centered. It's biblical-centered. But there's this, like, level of professionalism that accompanies that that is not as normal in Christian ministry as you might wish it were. And, and I think that's something that, again, you've been there now as long as I was. And, and, uh, and you know, you've... I think you took that tradition and just made it even better. Well, Chuck, kind of as we close down, I, I guess I'd love to hear just what you would want both current and, and future partners to know. And, and even while certainly your history encompassed a lot of the first 20, 22 years of Lifeline's history, 23 years of Lifeline's history, um, in a sense, your tenure as director really bridged kind of the first 20 years to this second 20 years. And you, uh, you have an interesting perspective that, that you've known people that have worked with Lifeline and partnered with Lifeline in the last 20, and you've known people that worked and partnered with Lifeline in the last 20. 
What's something that you would want those partners who might be listening today to know about the ministry of Lifeline? Well, I think it doesn't take long. If you're going to work with uh, Lifeline or work with you or the staff, that it, today it still remains a biblical ministry that um, you're going to do what you believe the Lord is leading you to do. Um, the other thing I think that it's somewhat unique for Lifeline that you don't find in every place is you kind of know who you are. I mean, you've always been, I mean, it's Christ-centered, but it's always about the people. Mm. So it's a very client-centered focus. So whether it's expectant mothers or the adoptive families or even the children, it's, it's always about them. And then the other decisions follow uh, and rather than the other decisions affecting how you'll serve the client. So it's a very client-centered approach to things. And I think that is surprising to some um, some folks, and it takes a little bit of getting used to. And, and the other does too, you know, I work with all of these, there's some amazing people out there in the secular and the Christian world. And I love working with them and I've had a great relationship, but it's just, a again, sometimes there's, there's more than one way of doing something. And, um, and so when you look at Lifeline, you know, it's going to be done in a very Christ honoring way. It's all as unto the Lord. I just remember that was something that we talked about all the time, trying to you know, achieve what that means, that everything is, you know, you're doing it for the Lord and, and you want to be able to present it to the Lord and know that he can't bless or won't bless things done in a sloppy way. And yet there's grace and mercy and all those kinds of things. I had to learn that lesson because, you know, we were really hard on, you know, it had to be done, you know, perfectly, you know, desk had to be clean when we left and, you know, all those, that, that's what I inherited. That was the system and, you know, learning to, uh, you know, find the grace even in that. Um, so uh, again, Herbie, I think Lifeline is, um, I mean, there are lots of good organizations, but I do think Lifeline is unique in the, in, in the faith world and the professional world that, and, and I think that's something that's really come out in the last few years. And you're probably experienced in it. You may have noted it, that, that um, people are stunned by the professionalism of a Christian ministry. Um, and they don't expect that, you know, you're going to do it right and it's going to be well done mm. and it's going to be professional and that you have this long commitment to clients, not just to get the adoption done, but to see families to be successful as much as you can. Um, you know, it's just a, um, it's just so amazing. You know, I always, I think I've told you, I think of Lifeline as a child sometimes, you know, I was there you know, so much of it and it's, you know, you want to see your children do well. And uh, I'm just always so proud when I see Lifeline doing well. Chuck, we're grateful for you and for the important role that you've played in the history of Lifeline, both as a staff member, but certainly as a director. And, and as I said earlier, the Lord used you uh, in so many different ways to be that bridge from uh, Mr. Carr to what we see present day. And, you know, brother, I, I think in a lot of ways uh, you've sold, sold yourself short. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that I loved when I came in in 2003 was, was that I inherited something that had been true, that was integrous, um, that was Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting. Um, and I think what you said is a staff that was unified, um, in, inherited a staff that was unified. So for me, coming out of a, of a, a, a business world and a, an accounting world, to, to step into something new, but to have a team that was, that was unified, uh, brother, the Lord has used you in so many different ways. And uh, we're going to actually have the opportunity to hear from Chuck next week as well. 
Uh, as we mentioned earlier, Chuck actually transitioned from Lifeline to the National Council for Adoption. And as many of us know, this has been a it has been a rough year for so many, and it certainly has affected the vulnerable child. It's affected foster children. It's affected all of the constituents that NCFA serves. And I want you to be able to tune in next week to hear more for Chuck about what he's doing now and the advocacy that we see on a on an overall view and how is adoption and foster care doing in this nation. Thanks for joining us for the Defender Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast. Thank you.